Good morning, everybody. Today's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, through, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Thank you, Nerissa. Now, just a, an opportunity for you men. Belgrave Heights Convention is coming up. Next weekend, uh, there's some flyers on the Seek and Find table you might want to have a look at. There's a few of the men from church going already, um, some great speakers. Uh, it's always a good time. So that's next weekend, 26th and 27th of May. Uh, sign up. If you sign up, um, pre-sign up, apparently there's a, a lunch that you can have on the, uh, the final day. So it's worth signing up. Um, check it out on the Seek and Find table. Well, we've been going through the story, the story, God's biggest story, God's story, one continuing story of God, the Bible as a continuous story, and, and seeing how his people, us, interact with God's bigger picture story. We've moved through creation, we've moved through fall, we've seen how God's plan included uh, unlikely um, people like the old man Abraham. Um, just a few weeks ago, Ray unpacked the life of Joseph for us uh, and in the ups and downs that Joseph went through. And as we can see, the, the story of God is vast it's vast, even as we think about this morning's story. We're not going to just look at the, the one small part. We're going to look at the vastness of the story. So one thing that we're le learning through this story is that um, God uses unlikely people to live out his plans. People who don't fit the mould of the hero necessarily who aren't born into positions of power necessarily, or don't seem to look like the main character in the plot. And in this we see that God becomes 
the main character. That God becomes the, the feature of the story. But God uses the everyday person to enact out his plans. And my hope is that as we hear that, as we see that, we take courage to be part of God's bigger story. Because we find that in our present future, God will somehow use you and I, us, in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne to enact God's will. That somehow each of us will play a bigger part in this story. Just as he used Abraham, as he used Noah, as he used Joseph. So this morning we're going to continue on to that story, but we're going to split it into two parts um, because I don't want to just skip over it because it is a fairly decent-sized story. So, um, so we've got uh, obviously our burning bush that is burning and it's not flickering so much, but it's there, it's burning, but it's not burning, that sort of thing. Um, and we're going to start with the story of Moses and he, God's deliverance of his people. So let's make a start for God's heart of, for his people. Let's pray. Now, God, may you help us to understand your story. Uh, may this morning we be encouraged to be people who seek you in all stages of our lives, in all ups and downs. May your story be one that we live out. Amen. So Ray, Ray talked about, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, if you weren't here, go back onto YouTube, have a look at it. He talked about Joseph's story making a good movie. And it does. It's a great movie of Joseph's story. But I reckon Moses' story hits the blockbuster stage, doesn't it? Um, there's a great biblical story that would make a great movie, or that has made a great movie, hasn't it? it? It's not just would make, it has made a great movie. But if we were to trace the story of Moses from his birth at this inconvenient time in history, um, where the firstborn male was going to be given a death sentence to his call to free the people from Israel, to his wandering in the desert time, we once again see that Moses' life wasn't just a linear space. It was full of ups and downs. We'd see, as we go through that story, how God used someone who started off as sort of something, I suppose, being in the king's palace or in the pharaoh's palace, ended up as nothing, becoming a shepherd, but then being called to make the boldest move that anyone in the known world could have been made, to ask the most powerful man in the world to let his labor force walk away from Egypt so they could worship their own God. That's a pretty big call. It's a pretty big call. And so when you think of it that way, no man on their own strength would have been able to work that out, to outwork that. It's only by the movement of God, God's action, that Moses would have been able to do anything like that. So God's bigger story, the, the story that overrides the whole lot, is this great story of redemption, of deliverance, of freeing people. And it starts with someone who doesn't really look that qualified for the position. <clears throat> but we're seeing that God uses all people to achieve God's purposes. So we're going to look into this space of Moses' life. We're going to look at Moses' call, I suppose. But rather than focusing on Moses, it's important for us to think more about what God's doing, what God is saying in and through Exodus chapter 3. And we'll also look at a bit of chapter 2 as well. 
So before we get into chapter 3, let's just do a, a bit of a reminder where the uh, story's at. In Exodus chapter 1, we're told that Joseph and his brothers and that whole generation had died. So they'd all gone, come through, they'd all died. And, though, and even though the Israelites became great in number and exceedingly strong, uh, it says in um, chapter 1 verse 7, verse 8 tells us a new story is beginning. A story that brings a need for deliverance. Um, Exodus 1.8 says, A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now that's important because this new king takes over a land that now has this nation almost residing in it. A massive nation. It's become a big nation. And this new ruler has no affiliation whatsoever with these people. So he says, let us deal shrewdly with them. That's in verse 10. And by shrewdly, he means let's put them to work. Let's keep a tight leash on them so that they can't rise up and they can't defeat us. So Pharaoh puts them to the task of making lots of bricks so that Pharaoh could develop this land and, and his big building schemes. He had these grand designs that he wanted to make sure that everyone saw him as the, the guy. They were big designs. So the Israelite nation were pretty much made to become slaves. They were put into slavery. They made bricks day in, day out. He mandated that every Israelite boy under two should also be killed. Not ideal, but the reasoning behind it is if they've got already this strong nation, if they keep on having babies and then men growing up, having, it's going to become an even greater nation. It's a fear-based um, system. So Moses comes into the picture at that stage. And he's given up by his mother, placed in a basket, and drifted on down the river to be picked up by Pharaoh's wife, of all people. And, and she asked this Hebrew servant to nurse this poor baby to health. And by God's providence, we know that the Hebrew mother was actually the baby's mother. So God worked that one out really well. So Moses grows, and he has this growth in uh, the palatial growth, I suppose. He grows up, but he, he, he ends up killing an Egyptian that he saw beating up an Israelite. And in fear of the consequence of that, he flees, he runs away. Runs away from the home that he's grown up at. And we see him going out to Midian, where he starts to tend sheep. And this is where we get to in chapter 3. So within this story, we, we hear the painful story of God's people in Egypt. They're all slaves now, and it's pretty poor. And when we get to chapter, the end of chapter 2, we hear these words in Exodus 2, verse 23. It says this, After a long time, the king of Egypt died. That sounds like a good thing. But the Israelites groaned under slavery, their slavery, and cried out. Out of the slavery, they cry, their cry for help rose to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. They were groaning under this heavy oppression that they'd been under. And so chapter 3 then begins with God's action towards his people. God's plan to get his people back and to restore Israel to its rightful land, the promised land, the land that had been promised to him. And so we hear at the start of chapter 3 that Moses was keeping his flock for his father-in-law. 
So Moses had gone from one of the most important spaces in, uh, in, in Egypt, growing up in the household of Pharaoh, and become the lowly shepherd boy. I read, I read about uh, how the Egyptians saw shepherds. And as they saw them as such a low standing in community that they never feared shepherds. They had no fear or worry of them. They never th- um, viewed a shepherd as a threat. Never. So it makes the meeting, when we think about the meeting of, of Moses, this shepherd coming in and chatting to Pharaoh a little later, it makes it an intriguing prospect. The most powerful man being told what to do by someone they have no regard for at all, a shepherd. God has a powerful way of making a point. Anyway, Moses is out doing the shepherd thing and he spots this bush that is burning, but it's not being consumed. And as you would, he goes and has a look. And the bush calls out to him. That's a little weird. And uh, Moses at this point could have gone, a burning bush, I better leave it, it'll, it'll fizzle out, it'll, it'll die, but not this one. He sees it, it's burning, but it's not being consumed, and it's talking to me, a little weird. And so rather than running away going, it's too much for me, he says, here I am. He doesn't say, not for me, he says, here I am. I'm not going uh, to dwell in this part long because I want to focus on um, some other stuff in this part. But it's worth asking the question of, us, of ourselves at this moment. What is our posture towards God when we sense God speaking to us? Even in something that is unlikely. Is it, oh, that's, that's a little much for me? Or is it, here I am? Moses sees the bush. Moses hears the bush and says, here I am. Perhaps we don't have a bush right before us combusting but not being engulfed. But God might be speaking to you as you read scripture and something really pops out at you. Or as you respond in a time of worship. Or as you walk and soak up creation around you. God might be speaking. I wonder what your posture is to what God's saying. Here I am. We've got to be careful not to adopt the old, here he is. (laughs) Moses tries that one a bit later, saying that, actually, I'm not so qualified, God, for the role you're giving me, but, hey, this guy is. He's better suited, suited to the job. If God's speaking about something to that person, surely God's got it right. And Moses says, no, no, Aaron will be able to do this better. And maybe, maybe we do that a little bit as well. God, I hear what you're saying. I know just the person. <laughs> maybe we miss out on some of the, the blessing of the mission of God for us because we say that person might be better qualified or that person speaks better. better that person has a good or a thing to say. <laughs> I won't talk to my neighbour about, about faith. Or I won't even ask them for a coffee because I've got nothing really to share with them. They might think it's a little weird that I do that. I won't pray for the person that's told me about their battle with depression because they might not like my prayer. I won't offer to help someone in need because I know someone else is already doing that. We'll leave it to them. Each of those scenarios, God might actually be prompting you to do something. But we say, there's someone else. 
God wants to use you in the everyday spaces. God wants to use you with a posture of, here I am. So we might adopt that posture of, there he is, sort of thing. But we can also adopt the posture of, I can't quite hear you, God. Even though you might go, I think this is what God's saying, but I'm not 100% sure, so I'll just let it go. Or I'll wait for another sign. Or I'll do something else. And if, if that really is God, then, then that'll come through. And, and it keeps going and going and going. Maybe you could do the, here I am, Lord, and then just not really. Yes, Lord, I will do this, but not really. Make the noises, yet the action doesn't come up. Our stance, our posture before God must be a willingness to say, here I am. And if you do that, be willing to go into action as well. Sorry, back to the text. So God introduced himself to, to, uh, to Moses in the, through the bush and says in verse 5 and 6, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, at this stage, we've got to remember Moses' upbringing. He was in the palace. It was a palatial upbringing in Egypt. He was nursed by his mother, and I'm sure his mother would have told him all about the Israelite journey. And when God reveals who he is through the, 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 the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses just doesn't go, well, that's nice. Moses, in reverence, hides his face. And verse 7 and 8 is where I want to camp for the rest of the morning. And the Lord says this to a reverent Moses who's already said, here I am. He's ready to hear. He's in a posture of readiness to hear. And the Lord says this. The Lord says, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them from Egypt, from the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And who doesn't like milk and honey? It's a beautiful thing. I want to pull out three things from these verses this morning to help us understand God's heart for us, for his people. The first thing is, flowing from the words at the end of chapter 2, we hear that God observes. God observes his people. God watches over his people. God's upper story is being written. Whilst it looks like in the, the, on the ground, the lower story, the people of God are floundering. They're in this state of oppression. They're making bricks day in, day out. And if they don't get their quota, they're getting whipped, they're getting hurt, and the quotas are going up, and it, it's hard. And this isn't just a couple of weeks. This is generation after generation. The stories that are being told as they go home. How many bricks did you make today? Oh, didn't quite make my quota. That's why I've got a bad back because I got hit. Just lasted for a long, long time. But God observes. God sees. Sometimes we may not feel that God's watching. Sometimes you may not feel that God's observing your life. At times, the weight of life exceeds the understanding of why God has not interceded, why God has not stepped in. And we feel, maybe we feel, maybe you felt this, maybe you feel abandoned by God. Nobody knows this more than Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took the weight of every person's sin on his shoulders. It's hard enough dealing with my own, <laughs> let alone having everyone's. Yet Jesus felt 
this weight. At that moment, Jesus felt abandoned. Why have you forsaken me? Yeah, had God abandoned his son? Of course he hadn't. God's bigger picture story was in its prime at that moment. God saw the pain of the lower story, of our story, the pain of the people that need delivering, the pain of a saviour is needed. And he used Jesus to make the, the, the bigger story wonderful. So at times when you want to ask the question of God, are you there? Are you watching? We know God is. He's observing, watching. He's ready to act. It may not be in the time that you expected, but he's ready to there. For the church, God is watching over his church. It's God's church. I don't just mean Kilside South Baptist Church. I mean the church, the, the one church. We are the ones who are tasked with the care of this church for sure. It's development to, to reach out to people beyond even when it's been hard to be the church, when restrictions are in place by, um, by our governments, when media seems to be listening to us, when Christians are now seen more as the bad guys rather than the place to go. There's a great book, if you want to read it, by Stephen McAlpine called Being the Bad Guys, where the shift of Christianity has gone from we were the good guys. People wanted to go to the Christian church to go, I need help, and now... They're a bit cautious, or they're very cautious. But this is still God's church, and God's still observing. God is still watching. God is still listening. God is still present. And it leads us to the second point. So God observes, but God listens to the cries of his people. God hears their cries. It's right there in the text. I've heard the cry on the account of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. God observes, sees what's going on, but he also listens to their cries. Now, it seems pretty obvious. If God is watching, then God is listening. It makes sense. But I get this feeling that it's more about not just God's action here, but about the action of the people that cry out to God. The people have actually done something. Their oppression has them in a space where they say, God, we need you. They cry out to God for their rescue day after day. God, we need you. Decade after decade, God, we need you. The people keep crying out to God. And God hears. And in God's time, God acts or listens. I wonder when was the last time that you really cried out to God? might be something about your situation. might be because a loved one has, has some illness. It might be because something's just overcome you. It might be because of financial hardship. Whatever it might be, I wonder if you've cried out to God. We had 12 hours, our 12 hours of prayer yesterday, and, and thank you for those who were able to make it. But it was a great time to be able to step away. I don't know about your Saturdays, but my Saturdays are generally pretty busy going to one basketball, two basketballs, another basketball, take another one to another different basketball. It's pretty busy, so we're floating around everywhere. So Saturdays are a pretty busy time, but I, I really appreciated that, that break. Um, I sat in the, in the room for an hour on Saturday just spending time with God, and it was Wonderful. For me, it was a space where I could just adore God, just love God. 
I could consider who God was. I sat and I listened to the rain and I, I wondered, wondered about the, 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 how enormous God was that it's raining here, but it's, it's going to be queen, uh, up, um, up in Queensland. It'll be nice and sunny all the time. It's like, how does that work? God, I, I wonder these things. I could give over those times, that, the things that I've been holding on to. I could confess them to God yesterday. I had the chance to thank God for all that God has done for me. And whilst I could have kept going for hours, I had to stop at some stage. <laughs> I had to get kids to basketball. I had the chance to, to, um, to cry out to God for the things that were heavy on my heart. I had the, the opportunity to cry out to God on behalf of the church. How often do we get to sit in that space of quiet and really be with God? Perhaps for you it's an everyday occurrence. Perhaps for you, you've carved out that time every day, and that is fantastic. But maybe it's an opportunity for you to start, if you don't already. Maybe it's an opportunity to get up 15 minutes earlier and say, I'm going to carve out that 15 minutes. Or in your lunch break, instead of going straight to the lunchroom, I'm going to spend 15 minutes of my time just with God. And seeking God, adoring God, thanking God, sharing with God your hardships, and then crying out to him. I wonder if you might have used to do that and you haven't done it for a while. And I wonder if that's because sometimes we just get so immune to the action of God in our lives that we just go through the motions. We go through the ups and downs and we might say, hey God, help us out here. Hey, God, I know you're around. I understand that. But we just go through the motions. We pray. We read our Bible a little bit. We come to church. We might even look really good as Christians. Yet we never cry out to God for the sick or the hurting. We never share our faith with our unsaved friends or family. We never cry out to God for the things that are heavy on our heart because we just roll through the motions. Cry out to God because God is listening. So God observes, God listens, but God is a God of action as well. So God acts. He says in Exodus 3 verse 8, I have come to deliver them. I've come to do something. I've come to deliver them from the Egyptians. God's not passive. God observes, God hears, and God acts. And God's action is an action of good. It's always an action of good towards his people. One that promises to deliver them from the tough situation that they've been in. Bring them into freedom. That's God's way, deliverance. That's what deliverance means. Taking from a hardship, someone from a hardship to a place of freedom. You know, the, the Israelites, they were entrenched in hardship. That had become their story. That had become their total narrative. They were entrenched so badly in it that when they finally got delivered and freed from it, they didn't fully understand God's, the, the freedom that they were, were given. So they lived through plagues. They lived through the storms. They lived through the, the Passover they got through the sea with walls of water beside them. They followed God in the desert. and God is a, a flame or a cloud, and they're following God in the desert. God's feeding them in the desert. All these amazing things. Yet what did they do? They said, oh, it would have been easier to be back in Egypt. They couldn't even 
fully picture or see the freedom that God had granted and the hope that was coming forward. See, freedom may not always look the way that we want it to look. Yet who are we to question God? We must trust that God's action is for the good of his people. And if we believe that, we can walk in confidence to be the people of God. We can walk in confidence to be people who are saved by Christ and live actionally out by Christ. To grow in Christ. Because we know that the, the deliverance of God's people out of the bondage was, was, was this incredible action of God. But we also know it was only the precursor to a greater deliverance. To the bigger picture. The story that breaks the chains of each of our bondage. We're bound by sin Yet Jesus, through his death, opened up a way for freedom for each of us. I wonder if we live in that freedom or if we go back to the times before. Do we walk forward even if we're not sure what it looks like? Can we rely on God? Of course we can. Because God's deliverance has been made, made right through Christ. I wonder what that looks like for you. To live free in Christ. I wonder what it looks like for us at Kilsyth South Baptist Church. We're in this situation of opportunity right now. It might also look like a threat though. What do we need to do? How do we know? I think we've got to continue to cry out to God. We've got to continue to cry out to God. Not just a few of us, all of us. Continue to cry out to God. Cry out to God for his people. Cry out to God for his church. Because God knows. He hears. He observes. God sees the needs of his people. God hears the cry of his people. So that's our role, is to cry out for God. Call out passionately to God to reveal what is right for KSBC. And then we need to trust. Trust that God acts upon those cries. So as we call out to God, personally, on behalf of the church, for others, we trust that God is good, that God moves, that God acts, that God delivers. So this week, I want to urge you to get deep into the story of God through Exodus. Perhaps you want to read just, even if it's just a chapter, a day of Exodus. You might want to read some of the stories even if you don't want to get through the whole thing. But, but I, I want to challenge you to do two things when you do this. I want to challenge you to, to look at the plight of the people. How is the, how is the nation of Israel going? How are, they, how are they faring through this? <coughs> Excuse me. And the second thing I want, to, want you to think about is where do you see God in that story? And my hope is that you'll see God listening and observing the people that are struggling and then delivering them out again. And it's not just for Israel, but it's for us and all who trust in him. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for the stories we find in Scripture that help us to understand who you are. And so God, this morning as we've had just a, a bit of an overview of, of Moses as we've seen how Moses' posture before you opened him up to, to doing great things. We ask God that you help us to have a posture of here I am 
and that we may be people who cry out to you. So God, this morning, help us to deep dive into your word, to be people of your word and who are ready to say, here I am, God. We thank you, Lord. Amen.